Hey, this is Len Casper, the TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan. Rhino, we're back. The Cubs are a third of the way. Neither they nor I or you have had a hot mic issue. Uh, how you feeling today? I'm feeling good, Chad. Whether it's a hot mic issue or a wardrobe malfunction, we do not have that here on the friendly confines. Only cool vibes and good games played by the Cubs. And such good games. There was a bit of a rough spot this last week, but the Cubs remain tearing it up in the division. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Cubs' early season MVP, the guy we want up in a, a clutch situation. And do we potentially have a new name thrown back into the the hat, uh, which is an old name that many people threw away as the Cubs' closer? Mm, we'll get to all that. Plus, Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum, he's going to join us with some amazing stories as the Negro Leagues turns 100 this year so don't forget to tip your cap to the negro leagues because the friendly confines starts right now hi everybody he's chad gordon i'm ryan lieber let's start in the first inning where chad craig kimbrell seems to have returned to form or am I saying that too early in the process? But in the final game of the series on Wednesday against the St. Louis Cardinals, the Cubs won that game 4-2 to split the doubleheader. Kimbrell, one inning of work, three strikeouts as he strikes out the side, earning his first save of the year and lowering his ERA, Chad, to 11.12. It is slowly going down. Uh, Chad, progress. I gotta say, there's progress being made. Maybe David Ross knew something all along that we just weren't ready to accept yet. That Craig Kimbrell just needed to work out the kinks and kind of get himself back into form and get his confidence back because we both agreed it wasn't the fact that he wasn't throwing heat. The man was consistently throwing 97. I think it had to do more with his movement and velocity, but. It appears, at least in that game against the Cardinals, Craig Kimbrell looked sharp. And if he can get himself back to what people expect him to be as one of the top closers in baseball, this Cubs bullpen could actually look like a formidable staff that could potentially really close out games. What did you think of Craig Kimbrell and how he's been progressing, Chad? Well, I think... It goes back a couple of weeks when we heard the breakdown from Sean Marshall on the Marquee Network, really sharing that the mechanics were not the same. And Kimbrell, you know, was not, you know, from a from an eye test was just not the same guy. And so what what that led to was just a series of, of, of batters that when they knew it was a breaking ball, they were laying off. And so they were sitting dead red on all of his fastballs, which didn't have the movement that they had before because of the, the slot angle. I mean, what did I think? I think it's three straight appearances by Craig Kimbrell that have been pretty, pretty outstanding. You know, and, and yes, those other two were not in safe situations, but this was his first save in nearly a year, which is saying something pretty amazing. Um, he looked good. I mean, at one point, I believe against uh, the cards, he, he, he hit 99 miles an hour and his curveball is starting to find the strike zone with more consistency and his slot angle, his pitching mechanics are looking really good. So the confidence has been there. What I appreciate is David Ross has 
basically still to this day said, well, this doesn't mean that Craig is, is, is now our guy. We're going to look at matchups. So it is kind of like the, what we talked about last week, kind of the closer by committee. And so he looked really strong. He has looked really strong. And what David Ross has done in a really nice way is helped build up his confidence in the pitching staff with Hadovy has done a really good job of allowing them um, to work on his mechanics and allow him to come back and potentially, I mean, if we get a shutdown closer, if the Cubs have that, oh my goodness, that changes the whole dynamics of this shortened season. So let's move on to the second inning, Chad. And another guy who's been looking really good is Ian Happ. And Chad, if you remember, I said on this very program that I feel like Ian Happ, and if you don't remember, I'm going to remind you right now, that Ian <laughs> Happ should be batting leadoff for the Chicago Cubs and Chris Bryant should be moved down in the order to second or third where he's more comfortable. Ian Happ has only been hitting 315, six home runs, 14 RBIs. I mean, it's safe to say this man has been the MVP of the Chicago Cubs so far through the first, uh, you know, couple of weeks of the season. So needless to say, I personally think that David Ross needs to finally come to the realization that Ian Happ is his guy to get things started for the yep. Cubs when they lead off in the first inning. I certainly believe it. His OPS is unbelievable. Ian Happ right now, Chad, he's in the conversation for MVP of 2020 as well. Yeah, he certainly is. I, I, I We texted earlier today, and if you look at some of the statistics that you would use, so F-War, which is kind of a wins against replacement, a more technical version of it, and he's he's tied for fifth in all of Major League Baseball. He's, he's, he's uh, um, in front of Bryce Harper. He's, he's tied with uh, Rendon. He's, he's just a tick below Mookie Betts, who's, who's just incredible. And if you look at like all the statistical categories for the Cubs, but he has the top batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage. Um, and what's amazing, he is on pace. He's actually from both sides of the plate. He is on pace for career highs. And so what, it, what, what I really appreciate, and you're right, you did say that, that he was the right fit. It didn't make a lot of sense. We'll talk about Brian and his struggles in just a little bit. But what he had to do, and, and you remember what I said earlier in this season, is he had to rest away um, from center field. And, and I, you know, love you. Albert Almora Jr. and I love your your pinch hit tag up uh, in the tenth inning. You know, and Chris, you you took the spot of of, of Kyle Schwarber um, in Cleveland. You know, we'll always be remembered for that and scoring that first run. Um, but I think his days are numbered. He he has shown that he he can't be in a platoon situation. And Ian Happ is a pinch hitter with this sort of power, this sort of presence. He's the guy when he gets up to the plate. I can't remember a ball Ian had hit that didn't just just scorch off off the bat. He's hitting the ball with such power, such veracity as his exit uh, velocity is is actually um, in, in the high point, you know, in, in tops in, in the league, one of the top ones. So, you know, he, he passes the eye test, the production test. And thank goodness for Ian Happ, because so many other Cubs players and, and, and some of the superstars have been struggling. Ian Happ is the, you know, one-third Cubs season MVP without a doubt. He is carrying this team. Let's move on now to the third inning, Chad. And A is for Alzale, Adbert Alzale, with a solid <laughs> pitching performance in game two on Wednesday against the Cardinals. Came in, obviously, because the Cubs had multiple doubleheaders against St. Louis, and Alzale was called up from the taxi squad to, uh, you know, come pitch a little bit and uh, did a phenomenal job. 
uh, pitched five innings, really kept the Cardinals hitters unbalanced and just unable to, you know, really, you know, come to the plate prepared. Um, it's great. We, we saw flashes of Azalea yeah. last year, but it seems like when he went back down to Iowa and even through spring training, he worked on some things. And listen, we both know this is a guy who potentially next year or even, you know, the year after, this guy is going to be in the starting rotation very, very soon, um, regularly. It, and it could even be this year, depending on what happens. But uh, this is the future of the Chicago Cubs. And if we can continue to see this guy progress, um, I liked what we saw again from him. And it just hopefully continues. I mean, he's only 25 years old. Hopefully we can continue to see some progression from Azalea because he looked sharp, yes, or rather Wednesday in that start against the Cardinals. Yeah, it certainly does. And, and you know, one of the things that the, the Chicago Cubs are not and have not been known for is growing their own talent. You know, uh, most of the, the, the superstars in the current lineup and, and, and uh, in, in past lineups of, of measure and regard um, have come through free agency and through the, the waiver wire, the trades rather. And so as for him, for him to come in and to have such a, a great performance, it makes you feel better because again, this is such a unique season. We're going to have a couple more of these, these uh, seven inning double headers, at least two, probably more the way things are going. Um, so I'm super excited about that. And it, and, you know, and, and, you know, you go back to your guy, Alec Mills, who had a rough outing. Um, th- we're going to see peaks and valleys for all these guys. It was such a, a, a positive experience. I want to say a quick shout out to the ace of the staff. I mean, we weren't sure going in we thought it was going to be Kyle, but you Darvish, are you kidding me? Four and one start. He has a 1.80 ERA. And during his four game winning streak, it's barely over one, 1.04. And that includes that incredible, uh, near, near no hit six, six inning, uh, no hit bid against the Brewers. So, um, you know, this pitching staff, uh, especially with Kimbrell coming back and the fact that Jefferson and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, it, you know, Chatwood hopefully coming back and Quintana coming back. I mean, this is, I don't see that as the weak spot anymore. And the fact that somebody can come over from the taxi squad and shine like this gives, gives Cubs fans a lot of hope. All right. So let's move to the fourth inning now, Chad. And, uh, we talked about Ian Happ, but another guy, even though his average isn't exactly, you know, it at peak level, it seems like whenever there's a clutch spot to perform in, David Bodie always steps up and really hits the mark. I mean, who can forget the, <laughs> the grand slam he hit against the Washington Nationals a couple of years ago? Um, but I'll tell you what, between the home run that he hit, you know, the other day to uh, put the Cubs ahead, and then, of course, the go-ahead single in the doubleheader against the Cardinals, I'll tell you what, we've said this, I remember, you know, over the course of time when we've done this podcast, David Bodie is really such a great story and has done such a wonderful job of spelling relief um, when Chris Bryant is not in the lineup or whether he's playing left field on that particular day. I, I, you know, even though he may not have like a high average right now, I'm always comfortable when David Bodie's at the plate in late innings and in situations when there's runners on base, he continues to shine in those spots. It's really great to see. I don't know what it is. The man's got ice in his veins somehow, but it yeah. really is nice to see that the Cubs can count on somebody in the lower part of their lineup that really comes through in the clutch. I, I won't say always. I appreciate that. But, yeah, he has a flair for the dramatics. And in this last week, he had two incredible hits. That pinch hit home run was the first time um, on, on Monday night was the first time that I 
screamed and yelled <laughs> this this baseball season. I was so excited because it looked bleak. It looked like the Cubs were going to lose both games of the doubleheader. And David Bodie comes in and says, nah, I got this. And then again, with the bases loaded when he uh, that was a pinch hit and the bases loaded. He was he was in the game um, because Chris uh, needed the spell with his wrist. And he came up big with that two run um, single um, that broke the game open again in the, in the nightcap um, when the Cubs were the visiting team at Wrigley Field. So, yeah, flair for the dramatics. Um, he's flashed the, the glove this year um, really efficiently. Um, and, and again, with the issues we've had with the injuries with with Chris Bryant, it sure is nice to have somebody like David Bodie coming off the bench. All right. So speaking of Bryant, as we move on to the fifth inning, you know, two of the Cubs all stars and basically they're two most important players, arguably in Chris Bryant and Javi Baez really struggling at the plate. We've talked about Bryant. We've talked about the fact that I don't personally feel like he should be batting in the leadoff spot. He is dealing with a wrist injury right now. He has not been in the lineup. Um, you know, the hope is for him to return, uh, you know, very soon and be able to play against the White Sox at some point. But, you know, going into this series with the White Sox, just a 177 batting average with two home runs and four RBIs it's and 20 strikeouts on top of it. It has just been really rough to watch. But on the other side, as tough as it is to, to see Chris Bryant uh, struggling at the plate, you know, Javi Baez as well hitting just. 189 Chad 34 strikeouts for Javi Baez in 90 plate appearances I mean it you know we saw that breakout season from Javi in 2018 and we really were like oh my gosh you know he might deserve the MVP award I remember we were talking about the fact that we felt like at one point he could have and should have been the MVP but ever since then and I'm hoping this is just maybe like an early morning season slump Javi Baez has not been disciplined at the plate. He has not been somebody that is, you know, going to the plate looking for strikes. It's it's kind of like that guy who, you know, was that younger version of himself that was like a free swinger and kind of just went for every pitch out of the strike zone. I don't know what the issue is. Are you more concerned at this point about Javi or are you more concerned at this point about Chris Bryant? Because for me, it's Javi Baez more so than Chris Bryant. Two different issues for me, and the concerns are different, and and I, I'm not sure if they're equal or not. It does look like Javi Baez has regressed. I haven't seen a real measured at bat from him. It it, it feels like you know he's he's sitting with three home runs right now when he should be up there with the league leaders. There's no reason why he shouldn't be. Um, nearing 10 um, but his plate approach shows you why he's not nearing 10 yes he does have 34 strikeouts and you know Kyle Schwarber has 33 strikeouts Contreras has 30 strikeouts so you know and that's at the t- at the time of this recording on Thursday so it, it it's concerning because he's the one at the plate where you just assume if there's three pitches anywhere near the plate he's going to sell out on all of them and swing out of his shoes so it does look like Javi of old it, old it looks very concerning with Chris Bryant I'm concerned because it, there's a durability factor um, but I can't really blame the wrist on durability because it really comes down to that diving catch that he made his wrist hasn't been right and as somebody that you know that 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 that, that plays um, plays ball. I mean, when your wrist isn't right, I mean, that can affect everything from your grip, your follow through. Um, then you can re-aggravate because you're doing push-ups. There's all these issues. So I'm worried that, that Chris may, it may take him a while for him to get back into, into playing shape. He's only played in 16 games. Again, we're glad that David Bode's in there. I'm going to end it. I'm going to end this with one thing. That's kind of a bit of a surprise. So you take Ian Happ out of the picture. Who's our superstar right now? Um, a third of the way through the season. 
Well, Jesus. I guess for I mean, I guess for me, it's it's got to be. I don't know. I mean, who is who's it's, the superstar? Or who's like the best player? I mean, Rizzo to me is still like the guy, but I he, still feel like I don't know. I mean, you could say Jason Kipnis could be the most valuable player on the team next to Ian Happ. You know what? I'm going to throw you a curveball. First off, Rizzo is not tearing the uh, the cover off the ball, and he's batting near 230. But uh, look at the last two weeks of Jason Hayward. This guy is sneakily coming up um, to around 275 as a batting average. Um, he's getting on base. Um, slugging is is one of the, the team leaders um, behind Tap. And uh, this is a guy that's that's come up with some really big hits over the last two weeks. So imagine this team with Hap. Hayward, Javi figuring it out, Rizzo figuring it out, and Bryant getting healthy. Yeah, and it's interesting, Chad, as we, you know, are about to embark on the sixth inning, but, you know, the strikeout issue, which is major for the Cubs Huge. right now. Huge. Jason Hayward has only struck out 12 times so far this season. So he's putting the ball in play. Granted, 95% of the time he's hitting it to, you know, the right field side. He's a dead pole hitter. But, uh, no, I, I can't disagree with you on Hayward. I, I think Hayward's been solid so far. He really has. And, I mean, he, he has definitely um, stepped it up to some degree. And there's times where he, he does play well. And, and I will give him that in, in, in that way. So, so let us move on now to the sixth inning, Chad. And we, we talked about, you know, the Cardinal series. The Cubs take three of five after um, really just looking poor against the Milwaukee Brewers. But they sit in first place going into the series against the White Sox. So the uh, topic is how secure and are you feeling better after the Cardinals series with the Cubs? Because I think there was a little cause for concern after that Brewers series um, where the Cubs just did not look good at all. And, you know, people were starting to whisper, well, maybe this team's not as good as we thought they were. But they did play well against the Cardinals. They, they looked solid. They got timely hits. I think for me, Chad, you know, the pitching staff's coming around. The bullpen seems to be forming as well. Um, the bottom of the order is great for this team. But as you said, the stars are the ones on this team that are not performing right now. We're not seeing Rizzo, you know, playing well. Clearly not Javi playing well or Brian. Um, and the strikeouts concern me. I mean, this team is not taking a lot of pitches. They are not you know, putting the ball in play. And when you strike out, you are just giving outs away. When you are not working, you know, the pitchers to put the ball in play, you're not giving yourself a chance to win. I don't know what the issue is there. I really can't answer that question. But if I had to say, am I more secure than I was against the Brewers? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I wasn't overly concerned, but I don't think this team is out of the woods just yet. Um, because I think there's still a lot of baseball in a, you know, in a short season, still some, you know, a lot of baseball to be played. I do think they're going to make the postseason, but the strikeouts are a concern to me. This is a team that is very undisciplined right now. And I don't know how I feel. I, yeah, I, I listen, um, the Cubs are the worst team in baseball by strikeout percentage. That is a concern. That is not something you're imagining. Like I looked at, I'm like, are other teams striking out? The the Cubs are striking out at a clip at around 30%. So not good. However, the question is, am I concerned? No. I mean, yeah, you don't like to lose that many games in a row, especially against division rivals. But then I look at the standings and I go, like the Cardinals would have to win 10 straight games and the Cubs would have to not win a game for the Cardinals to catch up. All that matters this year, and I want to make this very clear, all that matters this year is can the Cubs 
win the division, which right now they are perfectly positioned with more than a third of the season through to, to do that. I mean, they, they don't have a four and a half game lead and the third best record in all of baseball by accident. Do they have some rough spots? Yeah. But do they also have some players that have not quite, you know, hit their peak and came out of the gates on fire because of this unique season? Yeah. I mean, I have faith in Javi. I have faith in Contreras and Rizzo. Those are guys that just aren't doing it. We've covered that. Um, the strikeout issue is the strikeout issue. I think that's you're going to see that relieve itself as, as uh, players' approaches change. Um, we've seen that. And, again, you don't accidentally have the third-best record in all of baseball. Um, and so, again, I'm not concerned. Uh, you know, they won the series, uh, a hard-fought series against the Cardinals who have been jonesing and, and, and itching to play in a five-game series. The, the Brewer series was rough and, oh, well, you know, this team uh, is still looking down at the Brewers regardless of how poorly they played in that stretch. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines, and we are so excited for our guests this week. Of course, one of the most important I think baseball museums that are out there, Chad, is the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. And our next guest has done such a wonderful job of getting the word out and making this museum one of the must-see uh, places to visit if you are a baseball fan. It is our pleasure to bring in the president of the Negro League Museum, Mr. Bob Kendrick. Bob, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, it's my pleasure. Thanks for thanks so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's great to talk to you, especially with obviously so much to talk about uh, with you. Um, first, of course, uh, let's talk about the 100-year anniversary of the Negro Leagues. Um, what does it, I guess, mean to you to know what an impact that this league has had 100 years later uh, as we celebrate, um, you know, the 100-year anniversary and we have so many people around the world recognizing the impact that this league had. Oh, it, it means a great deal. I mean, there's a, a level of tremendous pride that goes along with the effort that we've generated to help people understand the significance of what the centennial celebration of the Negro Leagues is all about. If you understand the inner workings of not-for-profit organizations, you realize that we are always looking for an anniversary that we can hang our hat on. You know, we'll make up an anniversary if we think we can raise money <laughs> in and around it. But this anniversary is legit. It was significant. It is truly a milestone occasion, not just in baseball history, but in American history. And we think that the formation of the Negro Leagues is one of the most significant things to happen in this country's history. And, and so it was giving the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum a tremendous platform to help educate people about the history of the Negro Leagues and, and, and its significance both on and off the field. And guys, the off the field aspect of this story may be even more profound than the great players and teams who helped create this very dynamic, vibrant league. And, and so, yeah, it, was, it has been a tremendous platform. Obviously, we're still reeling like most of the country is at this point in time with all of us who've had to deal with this whole 
COVID-19 pandemic that kind of helped derail some of the things that we had planned and certainly from the magnitude in which we had planned them, but it still does not diminish the significance of what this year represents uh, to the Negro League Baseball Museum and hopefully to, to both fans of the game and fans of history around the world. Well, we definitely wanted to talk about both on and off the field. And, you know, when people think about players that uh, that they know of and they're very well aware of uh, um, in Major League Baseball, they may not have known that they got their start in the Negro League. So you've got players like Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and the Cubbies' Ernie Banks and obviously Jackie Robinson, such an important person. But then you go back in time, Buck O'Neill, Satchel Paige, uh, Cool Papa Bell. Um, when you hear people, so I want to transition, just ask this question. When you hear people talk about the all-time greats of baseball, it's a very white group, right? And, and <laughs> how do you have that conversation with people to just share, oh, man, I mean, just, just imagine if, if, if these, these two leagues were combined 100 years ago, how different baseball would look. Oh, and it, and it would have. You know, I think that's the question that is really kind of, thought about when people come here to the Negro Leagues Museum, and that's the question of what if. Yeah. What if the doors had opened sooner? If they, if they opened before 1947 and the cool Papa Bells and the Josh Gibsons of the world, the Hilton Smiths, the Boojum Wilsons, the Martin DeHigos of the world would have had an opportunity to show their stuff right alongside their white counterparts how different our game would be. And I can tell you this, and I say this with, with no level of uncertainty, the record books would be entirely different. And, and, and I can make that, and I don't know how, I don't really think it's that bold of a statement, because I, all you have to do is look at what happened after the doors opened, the transition of many of those stars who left the Negro Leagues to go into Major League Baseball and the immediate impact that they had on the sport. One of my favorite factoids that we proudly display here at the Negro League Baseball Museum, I think, quantifies that statement. From 1949 to 1959, nine of 11 National League most valuable players were former Negro League stars. Yeah, and, and so they made a tremendous impact. So it's not far-fetched, I don't believe, to think there might have been players who were better than they were <laughs> who didn't get that opportunity. And, and so as we look around today, and you mentioned the two names right off the bat, but I think if we were to poll a reasonable number of baseball fans and you were to ask them who are the two greatest living major leaguers today, I don't think you'll get much debate. Henry Aaron and Willie Mays. And guys, both of them come out of the Negro Leagues. That's a sampling of the talent that was there in the Negro Leagues. They were good young players in the Negro Leagues who developed to become two of the greatest players in baseball history. Both of those guys are going to be in everybody's top five. Mays is widely regarded as having been the best in Major League Baseball history. I'm an Aaron guy myself, but, you know, I'm biased. He's my all-time favorite player. But you're not going to get much debate about them being the two greatest living players. Well, when I hear someone of the level and esteemed 
respect that I have for a guy like Monty Irvin, who I got to know so very well. And when he says that I played with Willie Mays, and he did with the New York Giants, and I played against Henry Aaron, and neither of them are Josh Gibson. It just makes you stop and wonder, damn, how good was Josh Gibson? Yeah, and and what his impact would have been on the stage with all the great players taking the field. Because I don't want to just uh, leave it out there and think that, you know, the major leagues had all the great players. Man, there were so many great players there in the Negro League. So what would our sport look like had the best of the best gotten an opportunity to compete with and against one another? The one thing that we know is our game would have been better because we already saw the improvement in our sport after the doors opened. And, And so it makes you ponder, if Satchel gets there in his prime, perhaps the you know, the Cy Young Award could have very easily been the Satchel Page Award. You know, those kinds of things. And so as fans, I oftentimes say, we were cheated. Yeah, because we should have seen the best compete against one another. So obviously, Bob, you are a big Hank Aaron guy. Um, as you can imagine, <laughs> I'm a bit of an Ernie Banks guy myself. Uh, when you think Absolutely. about... You think about... Uh, what, what uh, sort of things uh, that a Cubs fan or even a White Sox fan, if they just stumbled upon our podcast on accident, uh, what, what sort of things would they get to enjoy um, around Ernie Banks or others uh, at the museum? Well, you know, Ernie plays a big role in this story because Ernie's mentor was the great Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill was the founder of the Negro League Baseball Museum. Buck O'Neill was like a surrogate father to Ernie Banks. He signs Ernie to the Kansas City Monarchs. And then essentially orchestrates the move that sent Ernie to your Chicago Cubs, uh, along with Gene Baker. Gene Baker goes up to the Cubs, and of course, Ernie Banks and Gene Baker formed the Major's first all-black double-play tandem. And and both had played here for the Kansas City Monarchs. Well, the legendary cool Papa Bell sees Ernie Banks playing in Dallas, and he calls Buck and, and recommends to Buck that he signs Ernie Banks. Buck O'Neill takes Cool Papa Bell's recommendation, basically sight unseen, comes down and comes down to Dallas, and he signs Ernie Banks. Well, if Cool Papa Bell recommends you, you must be pretty doggone good. (laughs) And and Ernie was pretty doggone good. And Ernie, if he was alive today, he'd tell you he owes his career. He owed his career to Buck O'Neill, who not only taught him about playing the game, but he also taught him how to be a man. He taught him social skills. He taught him how to dress. He, you know, and that bubbly, joyous personality that you saw from Ernie, that was Buck O'Neill. Yeah, Ernie was a bit of an introvert when he first came. And, and then the joy of baseball really hit him. And he talks with such great joy about his time in the Negro League. And, guys, I don't know if you were aware of this, but his roommate, when Ernie played for the Kansas City Monarchs, was Elston Howard, the first black Yankee. Wow. And they stayed at the Street Hotel, which was the black-owned hotel right down on the corner of historic 18th and Vine here in Kansas City, where the museum is located. And Ernie would tell me stories of the fact that he and Ellie 
would stay up late at night and they would dream. They were dreaming, dreaming out loud of which one of them would get to the major leagues first. Because at that point in time, Jackie had broken the color barrier. So now this is not a pipe dream. Yeah, this is not a pipe dream. I know I've got an opportunity. And, and as fate would have it, Ernie would beat his roommate to the mates. And, and, and Ernie would go on to have a Hall of Fame career. Bob, you're on the board for Music City Baseball, of course, trying to get a team in Nashville, Tennessee. And obviously the big push for this Nashville team, they want to call it the Nashville Stars after the former Negro League team that played there once upon a time. And they're also obviously wanting to make sure that a minority majority owner is in charge of this franchise should it get it. Um, what can you tell us about the movement for what could potentially happen about getting a team in Nashville? And what does it say about where we are now today and how important this sort of movement is to make sure these things are recognized to have an owner in place who is a majority minority owner and to be able to honor a Negro League team from the past as its name in the Nashville Stars? Yeah, well, first of all, it'll be historic because it'll be unprecedented. It'll be the first time ever that a Major League team had adopted the name of a former Negro League team. And, and certainly, I, I'm very proud to be a part of this effort. And the Negro League Baseball Museum is very proud to have a partnership role in this effort. So I can tell you from the Negro League Museum's position and perspective, this is literally a game changer. Because as a, a small not-for-profit organization, you're always in search for what will create perpetual revenue as you try to secure the long-term future of this great museum. And so our partnership and, and potential licensing agreements that will come along with that would do just that. But the other aspect, which is so vitally important, and that's why we're hopeful that Major League Baseball will look favorably at this opportunity. Number one, Nashville is poised and ready. That city is absolutely on the rise. It, it is an amazing city that we all have no doubt will support Major League Baseball as evidence how it has supported hockey and football in that great city. And But the aspect that you talked about, what a tremendous opportunity to make a very bold statement. Baseball was at the forefront of change when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. It has done a wonderful job in terms of that from, that, from a historical perspective, of being one of the most diverse, if probably not the most diverse sport of them all. But what a tremendous message it will send in terms of its true embracing of culture and heritage if we can create a team that is named in honor of the Negro Leagues that, as you touch, would have majority-minority ownership in that team and can start to be a part of the solution of bringing the African-American fan back to our sport and also making sure that every effort is in place to create that pipeline of great black talent playing our game again as well. So, yeah, there's a lot invested in this effort. There's a lot riding on this effort that, like I said, would be an absolute game changer in many respects, but certainly as it relates to the long-term future of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum.
And our thanks to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Museum. Bob was so gracious with his time. Such an awesome interview. Chad, that was honestly one of my favorite interviews. He's he's so wonderful as a storyteller. I mean, I could have honestly listened to him for hours. And he was just so great to uh, really hear about the history of the game of baseball and what it's all about. I I think we need to take the Friendly Confines podcast on the road and, uh, you know, maybe to Kansas City and, and uh, do some yeah. know, do some stuff from there. I think that would just be apropos at this point. Well, well what I love about it, and you're right, um, so many great stories. I love this story uh, about Ernie. Um, and and what, what is great, you said you, you wish you could have heard more. And so that's what our listeners were, were pretty excited about. And it's kind of a bit of a preview of what's to come with the Friendly Confines Cubs podcast is – so next week, I don't know if you've noticed, our listeners have noticed that we've been doing these special editions where we've been taking the uncut um, interviews with the, these folks. So we just heard, you know, uh, a snippet and we have a much longer piece with with Bob coming up that's going to air next week or rather um, this uh, in the middle of of, uh, of of the next week. So you'll see that if you're a subscriber, you'll see it come up. We welcome you to listen to it. There's a whole bunch of new uh, content. And what I say is kind of a precursor or a preview of what is to come. Our hope is, um, you know, when this season ends in November, um, these are the sort of interviews that we want to bring to you going forward. Interviews that interest us. Then we think the conversations will in turn interest you so we're excited about that so if you want to follow ryan we always like to use this time to say find him on twitter he's at ryan d lieber um you can find me at the chad gordon and of course you can always find us at the chicago cubs friendly confines um facebook headquarters you can find that by looking for the chicago cubs friendly confines on facebook and make sure you look on the announcements we've got a tremendously fun contest we would love for you to enter Hi, this is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines podcast. And how about that? Andre Dawson plugging the Friendly Confines podcast with Ryan and Chad. And that is our topic for the eighth inning. Rhino, we're excited to be bringing this interview next week to our listeners. Um, what a thrill. What a thrill it was to talk to the Hawk. It really was, Chad. I mean, if you were to have asked me who was the first player that we got to interview for this podcast, I don't think we could have come up with a better Chicago Cub to have on our show yeah. than Andre Dawson. I mean, he's he is amazing and such a gracious and kind man, um, really through and through, could not have been more genuine and more kind with his time. It was a real thrill to talk to him and really got some some cool insights. So we are so excited to bring this interview to the listeners for our upcoming episode. You do not want to miss this one. Absolutely. And uh, and what's exciting is, again, uh, in, in our next regular episode, it'll be, he'll be the, the guest on the seventh inning stretch as our guest conductor. But in the following week, we will provide you with the unedited full conversation. We go deeper, um, ask more probing questions. So much fun and what a thrill. Andre Dawson, you, you know, they always say you'd never want to meet your heroes. And, and I got to tell you, you know, when he came to the Cubs in, in, in 87, I was 12, 13 years old. So absolutely this mythical hero figure. They say you never want to meet him. If they're all like Andre Dawson, you want to meet him because, my gosh, he was just 
just so nice and thoughtful and 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 couldn't have been uh, um, uh, more more fun to talk to. Well, I mean, you know, the eighth inning here, Chad, our favorite Dawson memories, obviously for me, that 1987 season, it was such an incredible year. The Cubs finished in last place that year. In fact, what I remember distinctly is that the Cubs actually were playing 500 ball the entire year. Gene Michael was their manager. And then inexplicably, Gene Michael resigned from the team with about 30 games remaining in the season, give or take. And Frank Lucchese took over as the manager of the team and the, the club just fell apart at the end. And they really just had a, you know, fell into last place. But the bright spot of that team was Andre Dawson. And what I remember distinctly as well is that every time that the Cubs needed a home run or Dawson was at the plate, I always sat there and said, oh, my gosh, please hit a home run. Please hit a home run. And it seemed (laughs) like he would. It seemed like every time it would happen. It was such a magical year. And I think people also need to remember, you know, now we look at 49 home runs and we kind of, you know, scoff at it because we've seen home runs in the 60s and in the 70s at this point. But back in 1987, hitting over 45 home runs was not common. And for Andre to be flirting with 50 that year, that's something that people had not seen in a really long time. So I think what people need to recognize for, you know, folks that are younger that listen to this show is that that season hitting 49 home runs was the equivalent of a player hitting over 60 home runs today. That's, that's really what it's equating to and, and how it was back then. And it was so unbelievable to see that season unfold for him. It, it was, you know, as I, as I, this mythical figure, I mean, he was the guy that just, wait a second, you could throw the ball from the, you know, from the corner of the, of the, uh, the warning track and, and, and on a dime, you know, to your third baseman and gun somebody down, you, you know, for such a big guy to make diving, sprawling catches and you're right to have that hunched over swing, um, and, and that so many kids mimicked after they saw Andre because he was he just was able to mash the ball. It's such a thrill to talk to him. I'm, I'm always going to just remember him as just like really the first, you know, Ryan Sandberg was such a big part of all of our childhoods, right? You know, but he was that steady player. But Andre just seemed like a superhero. He just seemed like a cartoon character that just could could just was larger than life. And so that's what I remember about Andre. And we can't wait to share with you our interview pretty exciting stuff so let's finish up chad with the ninth inning now and as we record this podcast episode the crosstown rivalry series will continue at wrigley field the white Sox and the cubs it's always exciting the white Sox, obviously a very exciting team to watch this year they really have a lot of young parts and certainly give the cubs a very hard time every time they play um let me ask you something chad just out of curiosity which series do you enjoy watching more, Cubs-White Sox or Cubs-Cardinals that you feel like is more intense when you turn on the TV and you see them play? I guess the obvious answer for me would be the Cardinals, but I got to say the bragging rights of the city is just as important as the fact that the Cubs and the Cardinals obviously vying for the division because we know that Sox fans, want every opportunity to brag about their team, especially when they're better than the Cubs and especially when they beat the Cubs. 
And this year, the White Sox are a team that really are going to be, a, you know, a tough out um, if they make the postseason, which it looks like they'll have a really strong opportunity to do so. So I don't know. For me, I feel like the White Sox series, actually, as much as I think the Cardinals series is intense and it really is, you know, important. I think for me, because you get the bragging rights of the city of Chicago at stake, um, that the White Sox series for me is more exciting to some degree because of that sibling rivalry, so to speak, that the White Sox are kind of the little brother to the Cubs big brother sort of situation. You don't think we have any White Sox listeners, right? You don't think so. Probably not. Maybe right? a few that do it for the sake of their friends or family of mine or yours, right? Okay. Well, I'm gonna lose I'm gonna I'm gonna lose some credibility on this because I grew up in I grew up in East Central Illinois. You could divide, you could do a line down the middle of my town, and it was 50-50. It was Cubs or Cardinals. I didn't, I wasn't aware that there was another team in Chicago until I went to college. <laughs> this, is, this is before the national sports was really in our, in our world. This was, we had very limited cable. I just knew of the Cardinals, and the Cardinals will always be times a hundred a bigger rivalry for me than the White Sox I can totally appreciate it I have so many great friends um that that are White Sox fans that indoctrinated me into the hatred that <laughs> I, I remember going to college and and you, you know uh, our buddy Ryan Playzak and he like he was like mouthing off about uh, the White Sox and 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 cursing out the Cubs and I'm like why is why is this guy being mean to me <laughs> and then I understood it's just how you are you're born into it I was born into Cubs Cardinals and that's the rivalry that is always going to get my excitement level up and let's talk about this series oh my gosh I mean look at the matchups right you've got John Lester against Dallas Keuchel I mean that is that's a marquee matchup if there is one to lead it off on Friday and then I mean everybody's favorite former Cub everybody's favorite name to throw out because of you know uh, Jose Quintana you've got Dylan Cease going up against Kyle Hendricks on Saturday and then whoever they're going to throw up on Sunday against you Darvish. Um, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I'm excited about this series because you're right. This is two teams that are contending two teams that are, are exciting the city and keeping people informed, but yeah, it's Cardinals all day for me when it comes to the, the most important and most exciting series, but I am not going to miss. Yeah. And Gio Gonzalez is slated to go on Sunday against you Darvish. We'll see if that you know ends up coming to fruition, okay. but you know, and I think that tells, the story, Chad, of where we grew up. I grew up in Chicago, yeah. in the Chicago land yeah. area. You grew up yeah. in central Illinois. So like you said, the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry was so intense because it was either you're a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan, whereas where I grew up in the Chicago land area, you were either a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. So oh, yeah. for me, it just shows kind of the difference of where we were raised because I always had to deal with people who were White Sox fans, my family, for instance, or friends that might have been White Sox fans. And, you know, growing up, the Cubs never really had very good seasons. And I always had to hear it from them. So it was that constant back and forth of, you know, who's better, who do you like more? So it's interesting that you say that. And it just shows where the, the lines are drawn when you're living in one part of Illinois compared to another part of Illinois. So with that, that is going to do it for this edition of the Friendly Confines. Our thanks once again to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum. We so appreciate him. So for Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. 
And please, wear a mask. See you at the ballpark, everyone. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field The first time you walk into Wrigley 